when the system of justice doesn't work, Bronson does. When the courts can't do what they must, Bronson will. Bronson, fighting all the evil that men do. Torture as a political instrument has become a subtle and sophisticated specialty. When the most savage murderer cannot be caught or stopped, there is only one man to turn to. You don't seem like the kind of man that would commission somebody's death. I'm not, but the doctor stands outside the moral laws of civilized people. kidneys and spleen were crushed. His teeth were completely broken. When evil becomes above the law, the only law left belongs to Bronson. What are you going to do? I'm going to rattle his cage. In the execution of justice, there is no executioner like him. <laughs> Just one name. Bronson, fighting all the evil that men do. What you're feeling now is your own mortality. It's This Week in Charles Bronson, the highly uncalled for pop culture and news podcast that centers around a Charles Bronson movie and its date of release. Tonight, September 21st, 1984, Ronald Reagan is president. Margaret Thatcher is the English version of whatever they call the president. Two controversial figures who are both loved and hated. Another figure who is both loved and hated, hated by critics and loved by fans. Charles Bronson is back with his most violent, cold-blooded film to date, The Evil That Men Do. Four years later, a 14-year-old Eric Todd, future superstar comedian and rock god, stumbles across the film on PHL 17, a UHF channel in Philadelphia launching a 30-plus year obsession with the actor who was already 66 at this time. Born on November 3rd, 1921 in the coal mining town of Arenfeld, Pennsylvania, making the release date of this show the bronze centennial, what would have been his 100th birthday. He was born to Lithuanian immigrants. His father was a coal miner. Charlie was the 11th of 13 children, so poor he once wore his sister's dress to school. When his father died, the 10-year-old Bronson started working in the mines. World War II came, and much like other young men of the era, Charlie went to war, saw the world, and never looked back. Bronson was in film for 25 years before finding fame in the U.S. Already a star in Europe, the 50-plus-year-old became the highest-paid actor in the world. Bronson, who was rumored to be as stoic and violent in real life as he was in the movies, vowed to never make films for critics. And although he was quoted as saying, I'm tired of killing people in 1985, continue to make films for his fans and feed their bloodlust, I guess. Anyway, 
I got kind of right, fell off of the edge end there. But this is this week in Charles Bronson, as I said, the highly uncalled for podcast that centers around my obsession with the actor Charles Bronson. And uh, the date is September 21st, 1984. And we're talking about the evil that men do. This film was directed by J. Lee Thompson, but more importantly, it was written by R. Lance Hill. I feel like if you have like a letter in the beginning of your name, you're like an action uh, <laughs> writer guy or something. But R. Lance Hill, he wrote two books, and this was one of them. This movie, believe it or not, is based off of a book called The Evil That Men Do. His other book, The King of the White Lady, Believe it or not, was what lured him to Hollywood because he was being groomed to, to make that book into a screenplay for Francis Ford Coppola. But he wound up making a film with J. Lee Thompson uh, instead. <laughs> it's close. <laughs> close enough. Three names. So um, we're going to talk about the evil that men do. But first, let me talk about this program. So. I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted to find my voice in the podcast world as a comedian who can't get out of the house that often, but I didn't want to do anything if it wasn't original. And there's a lot of, you know, I could just do a funny comedy thing, but the only thing I really know about thoroughly is Charles Bronson and his movies. And when I became a fan at 14, like he was already 66 years old. Like this wasn't normal. There was something wrong with me. It was like 1989. It was in 1974 when he was at the height of his career. Um, but I was going to have kind of an orientation with the guys, but I decided that I thought the orientation should be, it should be broadcast because I, I would, I want the fans of the show. I, I do think that this show is going to have a lot of fans. I want it to be a very, um, what's that called? Interactive show. I want it. We want to hear your questions. I want you to be a guest. If you think you're entertaining in the least bit, if you're a comedian or a drag queen or a, or, a, or, a, or a juggler and you've seen Bronson movies, love Bronson movies, or if you've never seen a Bronson movie at all, that's what I'd like to have on every episode. I'd like to have somebody, uh, the expert me, someone like John who's familiar. And then tonight we have Danny Getz, who's pretty much, you're pretty much a newbie to the world of Charles Bronson. Is that right? Yeah. Like I, I, Definitely became aware of him probably after he died, maybe because he died because the late, late nineties is maybe early two thousands is probably when I became aware of him. But yeah, I, I don't know a ton. I've seen at least three death wishes because they marathoned on AMC one year, but I don't know which ones. I don't know when I started watching. I just know I saw the credits three times. Let me ask you a question. How old were you when this movie came out? 1984. Uh, I was not alive. Okay. <laughs> so one of the main reasons I wanted to do this show is I have met people as old as 40. I'm 46. So I'm just going to come right out and say it. I've met people as old as 40 who do not remember Charles Bronson. And I really? want to keep this, this psychopath's memory alive. Now, he died in 2003, but he, yeah, he suffered with dementia and Alzheimer's there towards the end. So no, he wasn't working after the after the mid to late nineties. But let's talk about the evil that men do, shall we? Sure. Let's talk about the plot. Very simple plot. Charles Bronson is a a retired CIA assassin or just assassin. I, I think just an assassin. Just an yeah, assassin. He just did it for his own fun. For his own, yeah. 
living on the Cayman Islands, and he has a pet fish named Quasimodo. Good morning, Quasimodo. Now, is it me, or, or just, did he seem really happy talking to that fish? Like when, when, that, when the movie started, I hadn't really kind of fully focused on what was happening, and I heard him start calling something Quasimodo, and it was so, like, friendly and, like, jovial about it. I thought they just had a character in this movie named Quasimodo, and I was like, what the hell did, what did, what did Eric make me do? There is something about Bronson that when he is jovial or or or, or very rarely gets like a comical like line in a movie, he really looks like he's enjoying himself. And I just I wanted so much for there to be more Quasimodo at the end. But anyway, he's a retired um, assassin, you know, as they usually are in these movies. And Jose Ferrer, an Academy Award winner, shows yeah. up on his island. He was the first Hispanic Academy Award winner. And yeah. he's this guy in this movie. <laughs> he's just the guy who pulls up. I think he was at that point in his career where he just did like a walk-on scene, a walk-off. And he was yeah. probably in the Cayman Islands. I bet there's some kind of really cool story that he was just in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard so many stories about like those old-time actors just like taking a role or not taking a role because they happen to be in that town fishing or something. But... So Academy Award winner Jose Ferrer shows up and says, hey, uh, we, we need you to go after this guy, the doctor. The doctors, um, his name's Malik, a.k.a. the doctor. He tortures people um, to get information out of them for several South American countries. And it, I, at one point, I think they're alluding to the fact that he even does this for America, but we never really seem to know why. So he shows them videotape after videotape of this person after person talking about this horrible torture. And Bronson says, like I said, I'm retired. So, wow. Imagine watching all of those videos and just being unmoved. Right. It was like, eh, whatever. A Quasimodo, but yeah, really, really bring, brings the uh, joy out in him. You, you, yeah. know, you know what made me laugh is it was... Uh, when he walks out of his came into Island Paradise and he walks down and he says, hello, Quasimodo. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when Jose Ferrer shows up, he's dressed like a guy he'd seen in an Indiana Jones movie with a straw hat and a bow tie. Uh -huh. Was he and wearing shorts? I think they were pulled up because he had to jump in the water out of a little boat. Okay. Because I, I saw that and like, this guy is dressed so nicely, but also <laughs> in shorts. You know? <laughs> and he, he looked like he was going to sing like, they pull out a pitcher of tea and sing like Southern songs or something. Like <laughs> yeah. uh, and the boat driver, uh, he was obviously like, a, 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 not want to say African-American, but a, an African-American person from the islands. And that, was, would make him, that would make him an Islander. He yeah. wasn't from Africa. <laughs> yeah, he, he wouldn't wasn't be from African America. or American. <laughs> but, so that doesn't but make any sense. He was a Charles black person, John. Charles, Charles Brown says, Hello, Santiago. And he has a Spanish name, and he's he's black. It just it just was crazy. Okay, well, we let's not take the show in, into that. Uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm pretty no. sure you can be. I'm pretty sure you can have a Hispanic name, and but that that will take us. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, anyway, yeah, that, yeah, that, that the, part the surprised guy, me not at all. <laughs> yeah, that guy says something to him too, like uh, like. Don't go telling people you talk to fish or something like that. I forget yeah. what he said. <laughs> I think but, I, um, I have that clip, I think. Oh, do you? 
I have the entry clip. Holland? Yes. My name is Hector Lomelin. George Hidalgo may have spoken to you about oh, me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. How are you? How's George? He's dead. <laughs> He's dead. Well, the, the, the movie, what I read about was that it was cheaply made because it was uh, shot all locations, no sets. And I think the only set they had was when that reporter gets tortured in the beginning of the film. And uh, it, it makes me laugh because the doctor, who do, who's the evil torturer, he played like butlers on the 80s sitcoms. Yes, yes, that's how I remember him. And um, uh, we're going to jump around here, I guess. I, I was kind of going to, I have everything in an order on a piece of paper and uh, we were going to get back to the cast, but screw it, let's get to the cast. Let's get to the doctor. The doctor, let me find here. He's a playwright. He has three Tonys and a Laurence Olivier Award. He was on ALF in the movie My, My Stepmother's in Aliens. If you're an English like stage actor with three Tonys, uh, you're basically like, like when an Albanian doctor comes to America and you're driving a cab. Like you're basically like... This is like Alec Guinness in Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to say, I want us to get back to the plot, but since we're on Joseph Mayer, him and his sister, who's played by Antoinette Bauer, also a British actress, this woman was on The Fugitive, Combat. These are shows from the 60s. These are before my time, but... Those are all, those are all shows that I've seen enough of to, it feels like those are like the TV show version of the movie we watched. Yeah, she was in The Invaders, Mannix, Mission Impossible, the television series. And she's still alive. That's exactly yeah. where I, yeah. that's what I wanted to say next. She is still alive. And I loved her. I thought that she and Joseph Mayer, I felt like they were doing their own movie. And maybe it's because they're both British stage actors or what. But they, I felt I, as, as I get older, I'm starting to really fall in love with these side characters in these movies, especially the bad guys. And I felt like with that horrible script they were given, they gave such a performance. I felt this. Did you guys feel a weird and such incestuous sexual tension between the two of them? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that wasn't like written into the script. Like it wasn't something that was told for them to do. I feel like they were just like, this sucks. How do we make this more interesting? Like, let's be into each other. Right, right. I, you just felt like they were doing their own movie, and I just, I loved them. I want, I wanted them to have a spinoff. You know, <laughs> I bet, I bet in the novel that this movie's based on, uh, I bet that doctor was like a Nazi torturer, and that was his. I bet there wasn't incest in the book. But let me just say something. If we do gather listeners, and someone can find me, our Lance Hills, the evil that men do novel, I would. I mean, you'll you'll get a a T-shirt when we have them. <laughs> and a mug whenever we have uh, things. But let's get back to the plot because I have. Um, so he finally he just shows up for some reason. So after uh, saying no, he shows up and says, OK, I'll do it. And really, then doesn't give much reason as to why. And um, so now he's going to be uh, going after the doctor. And now here are. A couple of the holes that I found in the plot, and I, and I don't know if you guys have any holes of your own. Um, I mean, yeah. Um, 
So he wants to go as a family man is the first thing he says. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he wants to, and, and of course now the man who he's, who's, who's death he's avenging because it's what, what I think what the turning, the selling point for him going in uh, after the doctor is that just some guy he used to work with was killed. And this, he's going to go now with his widow and their eight-year-old daughter. So now he's going to put them in danger in I, I believe it's supposed it's it takes it's filmed in Mexico, but I believe they're supposed to be in a South American country that I never heard of. Um, yeah, I thought it was just like unnamed or like made up South America. Like I think it was made up the name. I say that only because I don't remember what it was. <laughs> right. So he goes as a family man, puts this widow and this eight year old girl in, je- in lives in jeopardy. And the first thing he just, they decide to do as a family, but without the little girl, is <laughs> go, they have this like guide who's dressed in a suit the whole time. And the guide takes them to a cockfight where the mm-hmm. bad guys, Malik, his sister, and the three bumbling henchmen <laughs> have a box. They have a box at a cockfight. Have you ever seen that in a film before? That should be in every action movie. <laughs> <laughs> and now right away he raises the curiosity of the doctor of um shit the the black henchman who we'll get to later so they already and and the guy who walks with a limp who pretends to be a drug dealer so he's already yeah. on their he's already on their radar from that the jump drug street. dealer conversation was insane that's one of my favorites hey mister do you want some dope sir I say dope. Do you want any? You have elephant? Huh? You have Ming Toy Dog? Huh? I guess you don't. Yeah, you got any elephant? I was like, what do you mean? Is that like his drug term? Well, that's what he, he then he goes, I guess you don't. That's how he figured out the guy really wasn't a drug dealer. But I don't know if those are real terms or not. <laughs> toy doll or elephant. But for years, I used to, I've quoted that movie wrong. I used to always say, you got any baby elephants? I don't know why I thought that's what he said. And it was you're right. And it was so weird because it was a room full of island guys with all sweaty, dirty clothes. And there's Charles Bronson in a seersucker jacket with his fake wife and with a big white blouse and all. And like they stood yeah. out like anything. Yeah, they're they're just like going to the theater. <laughs> yeah. And she was such a bitch about everything. She was just like like we know when you you know that one that one friend of you has that wife that like just never having fun. Like she couldn't go murder. She couldn't go get revenge on the, the men that killed her husband without being a poor sport about it. She insisted on being there. Yeah. And like every step of the way, he's like, I have a plan. It doesn't involve you. I know you want to be part of this. I get it. This is your revenge. Also, you don't need to be here. And she's like, I'm coming. You're like, oh, all right. I guess she's coming. Yeah, then she almost blows it. Now, before I let you guys talk about your holes in the in the in the in the plot, <laughs> so right from Jump Street at the at the cockfight, he's on their radar, but then yet seems to somehow fall off of their radar after that. And we'll get into that with the confirmed kills. But Danny, do you have any holes in the plot that you'd like to talk about? Not not specifically holes, but the the thing that really stood out to me was how much emphasis they put on his ability to read lips. 
You read lips? Yes. I, I kept thinking that that was going to pay off in some major way because they kept setting it up in like the most minor circumstances of like, she's saying mean things about him. Oh, he, he knows he can read her lips. They did that right. like four times. And I kept expecting it to pay off in like a major way with like, oh, he reads the bad guy's lips and he knows which way to go or something. But, but no. It usually when that, you know, they call it, you know, foreshadowing. Exactly. Right. And you think at the very end, he would have used that super talent at the very end to defeat the people, but he, he didn't. It was just like you said, like you say, he did it four times and nothing really came of it. It's like, yeah. you know, I, I pictured a scenario where they're they're hiding out in the cave. And I guess we'll get to the ending when we get to the ending. But like they're hiding right. out. There's a way to do that where like they're not driving up in a tinted window car and he can like see what they're talking about in the car. And like all of a sudden his whole plan comes together because he can read lips. But right. no, it's just the talent he has. Like they just wanted to let you know he has a skill. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and I I consider that a hole, a hole, and I think that's a good hole. And um, John, do you have any holes in the plot? Holes? Oh my god, everything. Um, <laughs> like, like, he he was so uh, he, you could not. He did not go undercover. Like he was, he stuck out like a sore thumb, a right. slop guy with a pencil thin mustache on an island. Uh, I didn't even think about that part. (laughs) And she wore a bright, giant, white, bright dress the whole movie. Like he, he, his Uh, plan was to go undercover as a family to a place where no family in the right mind would be. I have about, I have a whole bunch more holes here. Oh, go for it! Yeah. So the the drug dealer, right? At one point, he goes, "Remember that guy?" Blah blah blah. I saw him last night by the docks walking like a champ. But like <laughs> when he when he came to the hotel, he was still he still walked into the he snuck up to the door still like pretending to be handicapped. I don't know yeah, why. why? <laughs> right. And then yeah. <laughs> here's one of my favorites. And this this is the this is the producer Pancho Coner. I found this on IMDb or something. He said the book there's the book described the doctor as having like this insanely like 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 unpenetrable security. Yet they gave him in the movie like a couple of cameras and like yeah. three three bumbling idiots, right? <laughs> so I loved so his Pon- team. Like his his team of people who only watch the security cameras where they're like, I see something, but then there's like no one oh. for them to tell that they saw something. And the producer says that they had to do the thing. This went kill after kill after kill, so that the audience wouldn't have have time to realize how ridiculous that was. <laughs> and my favorite is before killing. We're gonna get to our favorite kills, but he's got three henchmen, and he gives the one guy a night off. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That was the best. And speaking yeah, about we're, we're speak- in a really troubling, high tension scenario that we're not used to as a corporation. We don't need you tonight. Let's talk about Charles Bronson going as a family man in real life. In real life, his wife, Jill Ireland, was with him on the set. As, and I believe she got some kind of co-producer credit. And him and Jill Ireland adopted or like an orphan boy for the for the week that they were there an orphan mexican boy and fed him and made sure he was fed before anybody in the cast and crew every day while they were there 
which is a nice story. That sounds very sweet, but there's the temporariness of it feels very weird. That, right. Yes, it's, it's very strange, right? I wonder if Charles Bronson made him like shine his shoes or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Bronson, another thing on the set, Bronson, Bronson was one of them guys, he would only work the eight hours that he was contracted to work. I don't see any problem in that. I've heard this about him a couple of times. I've heard people, I heard Alex Winter complain about that, his work ethic um, when talking about Death Wish 3. I don't see any problem in that. The man was 62 years old. He was the highest paid actor in the world at one time. I don't see any problem with him only wanting to work an eight hour work day. Do you? I mean, you know, it when you're going in, if you can't accommodate a thing you agreed to, then that's more on you than on him. Like if he asks for something and you say yes, and then it becomes a problem for you. That's, that's your fault. You have to budget that before you agree to it. We talked about the plot. We talked about some of the holes in the plot. We talked about the cast. Um, how about we do, did we talk about what the doctor is really doing? Like what, why they're after the doctor? Well, he, he wants the torturer for hire for different countries. And, uh, and when, when they made Charles Bronson watch the videotape of his victims, and you could see they're just reading off cue cards, but my God, he was saying he, they made him eat glass. Uh, oh, eat those glass. stories were horrifying. Oh, I know, for a 1984 movie, my God. Like the... The the murder that opens the movie, oh. the, the fact that like the guy who was like the catalyst for this whole thing, the guy who died and his wife and Charles Bronson go to this country to avenge him, he only died as an example of how you torture somebody. Like they weren't like specifically torturing him. They just didn't like him. So they used him as an example to show countries who were showing up how to do it if they also wanted to torture somebody. Right. And, and we never really do find out like what, kind of information he's getting for these well, countries and well the the, the the report i just watched it you know like eight a couple hours you know last night uh the reporter uh he pissed the doctor off because the doctor said uh i've had an opportunity to read some of your articles about me astute for the most part though you do have certain facts wrong you credit me with instructing the leaders of over 35 countries Flattering, I must say, but the actual number is 20. <laughs> then he, like, you know, put uh, jumper cables on different parts of his body. And yeah, I then he of, blew up his insides. Yeah, and, like, you know, imagine telling an actor, hey, hey <laughs> go pretend you're taping electrodes to his male <laughs> organs. <laughs> and, then, and then the other guy who's trying to kill the... Oh, that, that's right, too. We forget about this. There was a plot to kill the doctor before. Remember, the guy was putting a bomb under the car. That's but... another scene that just doesn't need to be there. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the guy starts the car and blows up, blows them both up. Can I? Can I? I need to interject here. And yeah, go ahead. Now I'm I'm going to come off as now the biggest Charles Bronson phony in the world, but. Really, it's just that I don't pay attention to, to nothing. And I never, I didn't watch these movies for the for the plot much. I thought the guy under the car was her husband. Oh. All these years, I assumed that guy under the car that blew up was her husband. I guess Not it could be either of them. Now we got to watch the movie again. 
do, do they ever say specifically? Because you're saying that, and I don't know how to tell you you're wrong. So well, Charles Bronson knew him. So why wouldn't he know? Uh, well, they make a point of saying that, like, this isn't the type of person you would be friends with. And they were just like, well, Greg was a good journalist. and I like good journalists. It was like, that's a that's a line in the movie. Of like, oh, is that a line in the movie? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah the, the one guy's like, this doesn't seem like your typical friend. And he's like, yeah, we didn't really get along, but we were friends. He was a journalist. <laughs> I was like, oh, OK. I really don't pay attention. I've been watching these movies. I've seen Evil That Men Do about three times. Well, that's why I don't know how many Death Wishes I've seen. I I don't know. I watched it for a whole day. It was probably three of them, maybe two and a half, maybe four. I have no idea. They're all just one Charles Bronson epic. Right. You At, at the time that I was obsessed with these films, I was obsessed with the... And there were good ones, like Rider on the Rain and um, St. Ives that were like mysteries. But they were really hard for me to file as a young man. Um, but something like Evil That Men Do, I just watched it. It was just like, okay, torturer, uh, Bronson's going to go kill him. Right. Yeah, it it is very simple in that. And like I like that they don't even bother to give Charles Bronson like emotions. They're just like, all right, you're you're this guy. Go do it. <laughs> You, right. you know, when I first saw like a, a Dirty Harry movie, you just never saw anything like a, a cool guy shooting bad guys. And when I was a kid seeing that, and then I, I wanted more. I saw the, the, the Clint Eastwood movies, and I, then I discovered Charles Bronson. I was like, oh, this is great, because he has so many, you know, cool lines and the, just way of blowing people away. Yeah, I think um, what Danny probably missed is, what what by being as young as he is is the mindset of people in the 80s in the that whole i mean you know it's just like there's move there's scenes in movies where he just shoots kills a guy because he's a drug dealer like nowadays you would be like okay that guy can be reformed and give it but yeah, this was yeah. like that reagan era just say no you know good guy bad guy like that, that this was it, bronson wasn't alone in, in making these type of movies, but he was alone in making like this. I mean, his was just sick. His were his went out. His were his were just ridiculously insane. Yeah. Ridiculously, not <laughs> all of them, not all of them. And 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 I don't want anybody to think that this show is is a program to make fun of them. I mean, we will have a laugh at some of them, but I mean, I I honestly love uh, this man and his films. Was it? I, I'll say that even about this one, where like it is full of faults like i could i was about to say like it's not without its faults because like it is its faults it's like a product of all its faults but like i was still very entertained yeah it's very entertaining and i i love the kills in the movie so how about why don't we um why don't we uh play a clip of a, of our favorite confirmed kill and then go into what was going on in the world uh, by uh, movies and music and TV at, at this on this night in 1984. All right, so to, to set it up a little bit, because I don't want to play the, the entire clip, this is when him and his fake wife walk into a South American bad guy bar, which just every type of bad guy exists in this bar, and they're all just there to be bad guys together. And he gets up to get some beers. The bartender tells him he's crazy. He sits back down and this giant is hitting on his wife. And let's not forget, he wanted to go to this country as a family, man. Yeah. 
And he went to this bar because the one man played by Raymond St. Jacques, great name for a bad guy actor, died at the age of 60, sadly. Oh, wow. Was given the night off, but I don't think Bronson knew that, but luckily for Bronson was given the night off by the doctor. And he was known for going to these uh, type of places. And evidently he was known for um, being, you know, being interested in uh, three ways with married couples. And um, I feel like there was a lot of kink shaming in this movie. Um, We'll get to the, um, we'll get to, you know, we already talked about the, what we thought was an incestuous relationship between the doctor and his his sister. Um, And when we get to- you're right about the kink shaming part of it because it's very weird because they don't seem to judge that guy for wanting it. And he's very open about it. They're like, he's just ready to participate with this guy and his wife. He's like, all right, cool. But yeah. then he gets murdered right away. <laughs> oh, and he seemed like he was up for anything. Like he was like Charles Bronson was putting his hand on the top of his hand and okay, come back to our yeah. place. Very like s- sexy, s- sexual stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think, so I think we we're supposed to believe that Bronson's character knew that this guy um, went both ways. Um, I don't, all, all they told him really though, th- was that he went to seedy places. I mean, so, honestly, there is no reason for Charles Bronson to be in this bar. If his goal is to find that guy, because that guy is only there because he randomly got the day off. So no yeah. Intel from like anybody given to Charles Bronson would let him know to like show up right now. But <laughs> here we right. are, Charles Bronson just sat back down at the table. I'm gonna play the clip. What you're feeling now is your own mortality. This bastard knows about it. He knows all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, listeners, Bronson has grabbed the man by his genitals, by his dong. Yeah, I was trying not to talk over it because I just wanted people to be able to sit in the fact that that entire time he was two hand gripped on this gigantic dude on that dude's penis. With his foot on the guy's throat. And it's the first thing that I saw. But of course, I didn't. I saw it on Channel 17, so I didn't know that he had the guy by the. I think he probably grabbed him, but they didn't show the twisting and uh are we supposed to believe he pulled it off i don't or or he broke it and if if you're a fan of wrestling that guy looks like that wrestler he's a a giant the guy was gonna be about six foot nine (laughs) yeah that guy's been in movies too i know the guy you're talking about since we're talking about it why don't we just move on so after that happens this makes the one the other henchman it makes him interested in bronson it's by saying, you got strong hands, mister. <laughs> you got dick ripping hands. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's like turned on by it. And Bronson's like, oh, he's a big, Bronson tries to play it off. Oh, he's a real big, scary guy. I don't know what got into me. Remember he says that? Yeah. It was so oh, yeah. weird. He tries to like pacify himself. Yeah. And he doesn't recognize Bronson from the cockfight earlier? Or does, or is he, no, you know what? I don't think, I think, I think it's it's a detriment to to put too much thought into these movies. But if we don't yes. put too much, if I don't put too much thought into them, I don't have a program. And <laughs> I didn't, you know what I mean. So it's like I was thinking, like, did he was he trying to lure Bronson back to? But why would he think that? Why? What doesn't make any sense? I, I think we're to believe that that guy is just really bad at his job, right? Yeah, you know, he, like the only. He, re- oh, God. 
I mean, even though they saw him at the cockfight, they stood out, but they, they didn't know he what Bronson's intentions were. But he did stand out. Like you, you, you just were looking at. It. You could not miss him. Uh, maybe he was just intrigued by this American. Yeah, you know, maybe. <laughs> and like the the only reason that he got the day off is because the other guy died, and he basically sucked at his job, and it led to that guy dying. They were like, "Take the day off." I don't want to see you. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, so so the man comes over and he and to talk to Bronson and his. Hold on, not wife. to interrupt you, I just had a thought that this guy is supposed to be a ruthless, like torturing, like notorious torturer, and this guy leads to the, the, like the direct death of his like top guy, and then all he does to punish him is give him a night off. <laughs> But anyway, sure. good. I, I just realized that now. <laughs> so the henchman of the doctor, who who's who's half 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 gay, whatever you know, he's gay, I guess. So he um comes over to the table. Bronson starts playing it up, putting his hand on his hands, like they're all like they're gonna go back to the room and have a little three way. Bronson doesn't takes him into the room at the hotel. The second they get into the room, he throws a knife into the guy's neck. Bronson's not playing games with this. He's not taking the charade much further. And, um, you know, he makes her wait out on the other side of the other room. And he's crawling towards Bronson with a knife in his neck. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah. And then Bronson, for some reason, has him hanging upside down in the shower, I guess. I was going to answer that. The, the guy crawled into the bathroom and he dies. <laughs> it's a summary. Why, why did Bronson hang him up? I, you gotta clean him off, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> the the part about that the knife throwing murder, the that's the first thing you see in the movie. Like yes. before mm -hmm. the movie even starts, they show you throwing this knife. You don't know who he's throwing it at. It's in like not quite black and white, kind of like a purple and black and black and white. And you're just like, yeah. Charles Bronson throws a knife in this movie. So now you just spend the rest of the movie like, when does he throw a knife? And like, yeah, you finally get it. That was like an action movie thing at the time. It was kind of a B-movie exploitation movie thing at the time, uh, especially that weird purple, black and white, and then the name coming across like a typewriter, Charles Bronson. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, the, the trailer for this movie was basically like, Charles Bronson in Charles Bronson's movie. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, he, I guess it's. He, I guess that's it. He was one of the first actors that I remember to have his name like above the movie. It would be like Bronson, Death mm -hmm. Wish, Bronson, Kinjatai, Kinjat. Well, however the hell you pronounce that one it was going to be a fun <laughs> one to do. By the way, all right. So he's not going. He's not taking the gay charade too far. He throws the knife into the guy's neck. Oh, fun fact: one of Charles Bronson's real life hobbies is knife throwing. That's the true. That's true. I believe it. Yeah. He's also a painter. Um, and he's sold some of his paintings under his real name, Charles Bushinsky. Um, you, you, you know, what made me laugh. The, uh, the woman who played his wife was real. She knows he's a killer. She knows, knows, knows he's a killer. And she walks in and sees the bathroom completely covered in blood. Yeah. And she's like, ah! Yeah, not only does she know he's a killer, she knows that he was going to kill that guy. She's a killjoy. She's a total <laughs> she's a total drip. But listen, in real life, that actress, Teresa Saldana, two years earlier, 1982, 
was stabbed by a stalker. And oh, no she, shit. Yeah, oh. she became she became an advocate for um, you know, um, I guess stabbed stalkies. I don't know. And uh, Bronson and, and Jill Ireland were very I don't know if it was you know, I mean, you hear these things like, you know, you, you want, yeah, this image of Bronson, but he was very philanthropic. He, he was philanthropic. <laughs> he was very, uh, he was involved in the Make-A-Wish Foundation, um, something to do with animals and, um, and with her and with her foundation, whatever it was. Oh, I, you know, I, I know her story. I saw her at a, a, a either it was a horror convention or some t uh, chiller theater years ago. And she was very, very beautiful. She had like real, uh, like porcelain skin. Uh, some crazed uh, Irish or British guy found out where she lived at, and he slashed her all across her face. And you know, she had real thin, beautiful skin, and he like slashed her all up. And the story with her is uh, with the with the guy that he came over from Europe, and he hired a detective uh, to uh, find out where she lived at. And he got in touch with her and was waiting for her and stabbed her. All right. Well, when that story came out in the case about the kill, the guy doing that to her, and it was all over the news how he did it. Another guy yeah. did the same thing, hired a detective, and he found out where this woman named Rebecca Schaefer lived at from a TV show called My Sister Sam. And he did the same thing, only he killed her. That uh, was a huge wow. story, John. And I was probably. I, I was real young, 12, 13. I'm probably around the same time I discovered Bronson, but, and that was a really horrifying story. I remember that, what that happened to Rebecca Schaefer. Oh, I don't, I don't know that story at all. That's wild. That it's a brutal big story oh, in the mid, mid to late eighties, you know, long before and, you were, what year were you born, Danny Getz? 87. Oh, um, you're old. You're older than I thought. Old man. <laughs> I get that a lot. You know, it's weird that she made a TV movie about her experience where she had to recreate all that. Then she also did it again on the TV show Hunter with Fred Dreyer. They, they, she recreated the same thing in a detective version of it. It's just crazy. She was also the commission's wife. Exactly. All right, so she, so we, we might as well keep rolling with the confirmed kills. So we got, we got the first two henchmen down, right? Wait, no, we have the nope. gentleman in the bar. The first henchman, and then the, next. The first henchman the, was killed before the threesome henchman. That's right. Because that's the, right. Then the the threesome henchman gets the night off after that guy dies. Uh, who was the first guy? The club foot guy. I think so. It was a I'm boring one. A it wasn't. A, it wasn't just, a great. It wasn't a great kill. Oh, yeah, I, I know that happened, and then threesome henchman goes to the u.s diplomat or whatever and then yes. the scene happens after yeah yes he goes to the u.s i got we got to talk about that he goes to that u.s diplomat guy and much like the doctor's dialogue of like oh these fools they you know they don't appreciate me but never really telling you what's going on that when they go to the u.s ambassador guy he's just all he just says cliche shit like Washington's all over my ass and stuff like so that. If you want to hear it, I do have that clip. <laughs> oh, please, please. Give me a break, Randolph. You give us a break. What's this crap you've been handing the doctor? Washington's putting on the pressure. I can't tell the locals to let him stay here without sticking my neck way out. Then Briggs, you stick your neck way out. I suggest you don't rock the boat, Randolph. Or plenty of countries would be happy to have him back. After, after 
What is that guy's name again? John Glover. I, can I want to hear something interesting about him? No, I meant, I meant the black. I meant the black guy that he that he throws the knife into the neck of his character's oh. name. Oh, um, Randolph. 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 He just said right. it in that scene. Randolph. Yeah, something like that. After he kills Randolph. We, we we move on to um the henchman that's guarding the sister. But let's get let's John, what about the guy? What are we gonna say? Uh this is neat though. John Glover's been in movies forever. Uh he's always playing a, a slimy henchman. He was the the mayor in Gremlins 2. Uh oh, wow. and, and, like Donald Clamp. It's uh, Donald Trump. Uh <laughs> but a million million things. But uh this is no this is a neat Charles Bronson tie-in. Very cool. Um uh, he uh, he was in a movie with Roy Schreider called Fifty Two Pickup, okay, which is a great fun thriller movie. Roy Schreider was the chief in Jaws, okay, and uh, and he had a really nice uh, 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 Mercedes Benz car. And in the end of the movie with Fifty Two Pickup, uh, John Glover, the U.S. ambassador, we're talking about, he gets he gets his car, okay. And he sits in this Mercedes Benz and he turns the ignition on. And you hear a tape of Roy Schotter saying, Welcome to the last 10 seconds of your life. And the car explodes, which is the same in the Charles Bronson film, The Mechanic. Yeah. Although in The Mechanic, it's, 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 um, if you're reading this, it means I didn't make it back. It also means you broke a uh, 13, ah, shit, you broke a filament yeah. setting off a 13-second delay trigger. End of game. <laughs> Bang, and, you're dead. It's the same ending of the, of the other movies John Glover does. It's the science. You, you'll <laughs> see, you see a lot of um, uh, intertwining themes in all throughout the 80s, uh, Direct to straight to video, or, or or you know, not a lot of a lot of straight to what what I remember we remember as straight to video had some theatrical play, but yeah, fifty two pickup that was a that was a classic. I remember that one. But let's move on now um, to Claire, the sister. We now find out we're kink shaming again. It seems like there was a theme in the eighties, like if you were. <sighs> A homosexual or or something like that that you were some kind of bad it, guy it does feel like they gave them these characteristics so that the audience would be like oh well i don't care if they die which is yeah. uh, a little yeah. upsetting it's upsetting but back then it i guess it, it really oh it's a, sure. it's a product of its time for sure yeah which is also disheartening <laughs> but whatever it is it was it is disheartening and um I think they also kind of don't they allude to that one of the girls is really young, I think. So kind of making her like a pedophile, too, I think, or not a pedophile, but, a, you know, but either like way. A, a cradle robber type of right. grooming them, and, getting them in a Yeah. Yeah. We see full bush. In it's creepy. That part's we, creepy. Yeah. We see full bush. Bronson's hiding under the bed. Bronson kind of rolls his eyes like, oh, great. I have to wait through lesbians. <laughs> Why he has to wait? I don't know. You know what I mean? But he waits. Um, you know, he's knocked out her henchman and he's put a fire hose around his neck and put and put him on a balcony. He waits till she's done having lesbian sex with full bush and um, which is a big deal back then, full bush. And there's probably another podcast that talks about that. And I um, will save it for them. But um, the full bush podcast. But um, 
That's the spinoff. That's the Patreon. Yeah, this week in full bush. But um, he when she gets out, he waits for her to get out of the shower because I guess like he doesn't want her to see this dirty. And he puts a gun to her head and makes her watch as he kicks the guy off of the balcony. And then he falls and he's hanging there, dangling above the streets. And as a 14 or 13-year-old boy, when, when I saw that, for whatever reason, that kill... That was my, that was the one. I don't remember if I liked it or didn't like it. I just felt indifferent about it. And I, I felt I was disturbing. I never seen a person hang in a film and the way he made her watch. Like it, it, it was a little unsettling to me. Um, I think, I think it, it definitely like, like it made me want to see more of of what this these movies but at the same time i think like like i was a little confused i was like whoa this is not chuck norris this is not arnold schwarzenegger this isn't good guy bad guy this guy is a sick fuck like he's making a woman watch oh he, 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 he when you watch it too uh when he first kicks him up the balcony uh it's you know viewed from inside the apartment and, but you can see the guy lands on a mat and then it cuts away and uh, it was when I, was, when I saw some movies, like that was like you're, you were like, uh, creepy. And then, uh, and then you see the exploitation. It was, it was, yeah, it really was like a grind, it was almost like a grindhouse type of film, yeah, right, or more, more of a mainstream audience. And I think that's kind of without getting real too, too into like Jay Lee Thompson and Michael Winner and those guys, but they kind of, it's kind of what they did, they kind of they wound up there because they, they weren't always that we weren't always in that genre. Um, I don't know if we want to go real in deep into Jay Lee Thompson's career, but it started in the fifties and he's, he directed a legendary movie called guns and Navarone. Yes. And, um, oh yeah. And yeah, the, the original Cape fear, 1962. And, Oh, I didn't know guns, that. Guns of Navarone was president Kennedy's favorite movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, that movie's great. That. That's a great movie. Yeah, classic film. So, I mean, what brought him to the place where, like, was it the times? You know what I mean? Like, but it's it's weird because, like, I I, I loved straight to video, and and Bronson wasn't straight to video. Bronson, I mean, even Death Wish Five in nineteen ninety five, I went to a theater and saw that. They didn't stay in the theater long, but they got theatrical release. But um, not Chuck Norris's movies weren't that sick and. Right and and, or, and and the feeling too, like like him dangling above the streets in that like so like South American like there, there was a, and there was a gritty like look to the film like the color like it almost looked dirty. Does it, that, am I making sense here? Now, yeah, it, it, oh yeah, it, absolutely. It reminds you of the the eighties, like the way film was stock was that way, and, and you th you find out in real life too if you know anything about uh, Hangman. In real life, if you were done, actually done that, that guy's head would have popped off. It's just you know the yeah. wrong drop tends to reason hanging in a bright white fire hose. It also, it the, just in this conversation dawned on me that like he was doing that as his escape plan. That he was like brutally murdering somebody and hanging them above the street so that he could calmly leave with a hostage. Like, <laughs> he's not a good guy. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And um, just go back to J. Lee Thompson. He also made McKenna's Gold, 
Um, and he did, he made two of the, of, he made conquest of the, of the planet of the apes and battle for the planet of the apes. I don't know if those are good. Oh, um, and, and then, I, I love the planet of the apes movies. Uh, well, the, yeah, but I don't like, know if those are good ones because some of them, I know some of them are considered really bad. Well, these, they, they were the last two, uh, yeah. of like the five and the budget was like, they're like wearing rubber Halloween, rubber gorilla masks from Halloween adventure stores. It was really yeah. budget. Yeah, they, they lose it in the look. Whereas like two goes like off the rails in a very fun, kind of well-produced way. That one goes off the rails in the opposite direction. Or those two go off the rails, but like still a lot of fun. Yeah. And for the most part from 1976 on, um, with the, you know, he was mostly Bronson movies with the exception of a horror classic, Happy Birthday to Me, horror cult classic. Oh. Why don't we, uh, before we talk about the ending of the movie, did we miss any good kills? That was, those were the best kills, right? I think those uh, are the ones. Well, uh, I, well, no, do we, we going to talk about the, how he gets the ambassador and the other henchmen in that little bar? That's one of my favorite scenes. I, I, I'm gonna, I, I might, I might uh, misquote it, but I believe he says, "You're in my friend's house. Show some respect. I get the hell out." Yeah. I love that. I love uh, that. I love. I like that, that for some weird reason that kind of redeemed his character a little bit. Like that he was sticking up for those like kind of like cowardly, underprivileged, like you know, locals. Like I liked that. You know I, what I mean? I it, it gave him more of a hero. That's what the ending vibe. wanted it to be. Uh huh. <laughs> Right. I, I don't know that they earned it, but I feel like that's what they wanted. Yeah. Now, are, are we going to talk? Can we, you know, do, should we say what happens about how? So the, they they start chasing Bronson and the woman. Well, yeah. Well, we're going to do the end, right? But let, and, and basically, yeah. That we'll, we'll mention that real quick before we do, say what happens at the end. But let's talk about what's going on in the world. 1984, September 21st, that night. John, did you research what movies were out? Was that your duty for this, sir? Um, I, shit, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, had, I had a list on my computer. I got to dig it up. Okay, uh, it's okay, because I, I think I think I got a list somewhere. I know all of me premiered that night and came in first that weekend. Is that right? I can, I can bring it up. I was shocked to see that this was a number two movie. Because like in, in my mind, by the late... 80s he's already gone i know this is still early 80s but like he's already kind of gone over the edge of just like only making movies for charles bronson fans and this felt like that and i can't believe there's still that many like diehard charles bronson fans who are like i'm gonna go see this right now i believe that i believe that um like yeah it was 1962 i, I mean i'm sorry he was 62 um he had it really made with the exception of death wish 2 which was two years earlier um a real gritty action movie he had made a couple snoozers the white buffalo and cabo blanco so it was kind of a return to bronson and also i you know he did have a a, a big following i mean i even like i don't remember after i think he was still pretty hot till like 87 and then the movies were kind of in and out of the theater real quick okay. but they were still in the theater which was nuts now we talked about beforehand how it, it came in 
higher than Ghostbusters, but Ghostbusters had been out since June. Yeah, that, that had been running pretty solid at that point. <laughs> right. And it was still it was still making money. Yeah, Purple Rain too. Like Purple Rain being the number four movie when this is the number two movie doesn't make sense. But then you're like, all right, that movie came out a long time before this. <laughs> and a, a, a bunch of huge, like huge, tons of, uh, I want to say B movies came out. Like, you know, the, the uh, Friday 13th premiered in 84, uh, Angel, uh, the you know, Hooker Day or Hooker by Night. It looks to me as though. People that men do beat Clint Eastwood's tightrope in the box offices that weekend. And I believe that was the opening weekend for that. I, From what I'm looking at, that had been out the week before. But a pretty, okay. it, it doubled it. Like, it did double the business that tightrope did. Now, um, Revenge of the Nerds is still in the theaters. We have movies. Now, I don't know about when you were a young man, but... Uh, Danny, but movies back then, first of all, it was like years, a couple years before they were on video. It was like five years before they were on TV. So they would stay in the theater for a while. Big, big, big movies like The Karate Kid, I see, was still in the theater. Um, oh, yeah. It, that definitely changed in my lifetime. And like, you don't have second run theaters anymore either, which like you would have a second life for all these movies and just go see them cheaper. I loved those theaters. You know what? Want to know something crazy is like, is, um, 93 92 93 is when the big giant um multiplexes came about and i know that because i worked at at the one that opened near oxford valley mall but the all the small theaters stayed open for another three or four years and they would have like for four bucks you could see like and and that's where all the action movies and all the all the bad horror movies went and then we had dollar theaters then they would try to hold on by give by doing dollar movies and man, I, I miss those times. I miss those days. Yeah, near me we had the the Village Mall, and it was like now it's been gutted and turned into one of those indoor racetracks. But like when I was growing up, you could go see like the Hillary Swank Karate Kid, like yeah, like a year after it came out for like two bucks. You're like, all right, why not? That, that's it, I, I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia, and there's the Parkwood Theater, and there's a the GCC Northeast, and they would all like Eric said they they had a long run, and then I think that's when studios start realizing the huge uh, videotape market. Uh, so movies could go right to video and probably make as much money so instead of renting a theater out. Into three, the domination, which is a an early canon film, was out at the same time. Uh, this was not a canon film, believe it or not. It was in the it was during Bronson's canon run, but for some reason, canon. There, I, I read why they didn't make it, but it wasn't interesting enough to write down. But <laughs> it, it wound up going to TriStar or something. Yeah, canon had a uh, three top twenty movies in the, at this point. Is a uh, Exterminator Two was in the top twenty that year too. Oh yeah, they did. They did great. I mean, see, here's another thing that's funny. I didn't realize that these movies were low budget. I didn't realize that they weren't like normal for a 14 year old to be watching. I didn't realize any of this stuff till like, till like way later on in my life. Like, I thought like this was like I I like like what you were saying earlier. You were surprised it came in number two. Like I thought I. 
I didn't get into Charles Bronson until um, four years or five years after Evil That Men Do came out. But if you, yeah. if you I, I would have thought that the whole world was at that theater that night seeing that. Uh, from reading, it, it, the movie cost like $4.9 million to make. And in the theaters, it made like 13.9. And I always heard a movie has to double its, prob- double its cost to make a profit. So this did, movie did well. That's yeah. very of- good. Yeah. It's a very good. It, it, and like in, in, traditional i think i think like a lot of these cheaper movies it like it grossed 13 million and made 4.5 million on the opening weekend so it's like oh they they were big opening weekend movies i think bronson fans were big opening weekend people and 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 action fans and horror fans and all that spinal tap came out the week before (laughs) that's not even on here (laughs) yeah let's um Let's talk about the music at the time. That was your job, Danny. Oh my God. The music, like some of this, like still some of my favorite artists now, and this is like before my lifetime, just happened to be all the top at the same time here. Like the great era, great era. The, the number one song was Missing You by John Waite. Great song. When I, I read it and I was like, I don't know if I know that song, but that's probably the song. And then I played it and I was like, yeah, it's that song. Of course it's that song. But the the big one for me is Let's Go Crazy was number two with oh. Prince and the Revolution. I mean, Purple Rain is easily a top five album for me. And like, there's no better track one on any album to me than Let's Go Crazy. That's a great song because it's it's a pop hit. It's a rock hit. I mean, it's punk in, in its in its attitude like it's such a good song it is like so incredibly danceable and positive it i yeah i i adore that song but then she bop was number three Cindy Lauper is another one of those like all timers for me. Like she can do no wrong. And, and, Wasn't and, Caribbean Caribbean Queen out then too? Caribbean Queen. Yeah. And this yeah, was, like, that was that was number twenty two this week. Yeah. I think Bronson was listening to that. Cayman <laughs> Island. Sixty two year old Charles with, Bronson rocking out to Billy Ocean. American uh, guy. Yeah, you, want, guy. <laughs> you want to hear an interesting fact about that song? Uh, when Billy Ocean recorded it. It was called Garbian Queen, but he re- he re- recorded different versions for different parts of the world, like African Queen, African really? Queen. And yeah, if you look the story of that, can music, you find this? Do they exist? I, I probably I, I don't know. <laughs> so I know he recorded like three different versions: Calypso Queen. My favorite was Rahway New Jersey Queen. That one was great. <laughs> Rahway New Jersey Queen. Now, <laughs> Yeah, you guys grew up different places than I did, but this is like when MTV was really starting and getting huge and yeah. videos really sold music. I was nine. Yeah. I was nine, and that was like, like I think I saw on the list "Cruel Summer." Yeah, oh. that's on here. That was number ten. Yep. I still love that song. That song put takes me back to the boardwalk. You know, I'm, I'm a twelve or whatever. I no, what I just say, I was nine, like nine or ten. Like, yeah. I just started listening to them, like in earnest recently because i heard cruel summer on the radio um i i think they kind of get 
shoved into that campy kind of territory because their name's Bananarama. Yes. But they're solid. They are. <laughs> they are, they are, they are really decent. Like, Is there anything cooler or more fun than being like, you know what, let me just pick up this record of this one hit wonder or this what, what this band that's like people think is a joke and realizing just how freaking amazing or how cool it is. I love that. That's one of my favorite things. Back when I was hosting shows at Puck in Doylestown, the sound guy, he would just put on whatever album he could find. And the one time when we were like filling the room, we were listening to a full Tommy Two-Tone album. And damn, if that wasn't good. Like that was like, it wasn't, it didn't even have like anything remotely a hit on it. And it was really good. My buddy made um, a Midnight Oil uh, Spotify playlist. And it's, it's, it was it like, and I only knew the one song. Yeah. But, but, but because he was like, yo, this, people got to give this band another listen i was like oh that's me that's what i'm all about let me listen to this playlist and it was oh it was good it was it was such a good summer and summer summer and it was like they were like kind of punk and kind of they kind of had like a you know they're australian vibe they're australian right yeah yeah i don't even remember what else they had like the you know one of those bands that would like experiment with the, i don't know who cares it was great we're going off we're doing rank bank now that's what's going yeah, on yeah right yeah, like, I mean, I, I'm just amazed looking at the bands that are in the top 20. We're like, I, I like Prince and Sheila E and Cindy Lauper, they all kind of go together. And then the Cars and Yui Lewis all go together. And then Stevie Wonder's in there because Stevie Wonder should be in the top of the charts all the time. He should never fall out of the charts. But like, all of these just feel like they fit together entirely, but they don't have a lot in common across the board. And it's a really that's weird thing the about 80s, the era. Yeah. That's what the eighties were like. And to think that all these artists were on the evil that men do soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> like Van Halen, Panama was on the radio all summer. Uh, Cause it was 80. Uh, right. 84. Yeah. 1984. Was sunglasses at night. 84 too. I oh, think no. so. Yeah. That, that song's awesome. That Anytime that song comes on, I I roll my eyes and then like two seconds later, forget that the song's great. So like, I was listening to a radio program that was discussing that that song is about like, like a guy watching his girlfriend have sex with somebody else. But I don't know. Look up the lyrics. They, they were talking. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. Why are we? Where are we going? <laughs> why are we kink shaming oh you didn't say it to shame anybody what was his name Corey hart Corey hart yeah it's weird it makes me look old don't it uh, hey listen uh, <laughs> this is the point in the show where you realize you can see yourself <laughs> september 21st 1984 if you stayed home that night and i don't know why anybody would stay home when the evil that men do was in the theater but if you were watching abc you were watching benson which which by the way is a great show an episode called The Scandal, which, listen to me, this this blew my mind when I saw it because my wife used to watch that TV show, Scandal. You know that show about the White House and all that? And one time I was watching it, and I said to her, this freaking storyline was stolen from Benson. This is Benson. You're watching this freaking – you're watching Benson. And, and like, of course, nobody, nobody but a lunatic like me. Shonda versus a Benson ripoff. <laughs> 
What's that? Shonda Rhimes and the Shonda verse is all a Dude, Benson ripoff. Sh- Listen, Benson was a good show. Webster was on after that. It was a part two of a three part. Must have been something big. Oh, wow. Hawaii Heat, the episode Ice Cream Man. Never heard of that. Now, here's where things get, get you know, Eric. Matt Houston was on at 10 p.m. Now, I was a huge Matt Houston fan, but I'm doing the numbers here. Uh, that's 1984. I was nine years old, staying up till eleven o'clock at night watching <laughs> Matt Houston. See, this this is why there's something's wrong with me. Like this is how we end up here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is how I end up with a, with a fascination for Charles Bronson. Like, what the hell? I would love like Matt Houston, Hunter, um, Remington Steele. Just something was wrong with me. Now you go over to CBS. You guys are gonna love this. Dukes of Hazard is on. The episode is called "Happy Birthday, General Lee." They were celebrating After, the actual General Lee's actual birthday. <laughs> I think it's the car, but I like to think it's General Lee. Yeah. Just Robert E. Lee is like, thanks, guys. <laughs> birthday, Hitler. Anyway. <laughs> and then right after that, Burning Rage. And this is a movie about a, like a coal mining town. And I don't know. So some, something bad happens. But listen, it's got Tom Wopat in it. So you're getting double, you're getting a double shot of Tom Wilpat if you stay home. I can't believe anybody went to the theater. Tom <laughs> Wilpat, the Dukes of Hazard, and he's in this movie. And listen to this. This is so 1984. This is so my grandmom and my grandpa. I know they watched this movie. Barbara Mandrell is in it. You don't remember this, Danny, but but you remember when John, you remember when like country people like dude, 1980, dude, it was Oh, uh, it was so white. Like it was like like uh. like like country people were like in movies and stuff. And you know what I mean? Like and Barbara Mandrell was really beautiful. She was real pretty and she had two sisters, the Mandrell sisters. Uh that that ended in my lifetime. And I I'm so upset about it that like I I would be able to stay home and there would be movies on like on the weekend if I just did nothing. But like now I don't even have TV and I have to like go find a movie and like actually hope it's good because I had to put in a search for it. But like a TV movie doesn't have to be good because it's just on. Right. Exactly. There was something like, what's the word I'm looking for? There was something like freeing and, 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 and almost more interesting about stumbling across something when there was like five channels. Yeah. This one, this one shocked me because I thought these were made in the seventies. The Dean Martin roast of Mr. T was on NBC. Uh, <laughs> I love those. I have the full DVD box set. <laughs> you, you know, I do, I do too. I think John gave it to me. I think John, did you buy uh, that for me? Uh, I forget, but I I do know by the, the this time period, um, it was all phoned in. Like you watch it, and you can hear the can laughter. Yeah. Uh, all right. And it, it kept cutting over to pictures of uh, Orson Orson Welles laughing. That was like ten years earlier. You could see the video stock was different. It was just all pieced together, and that's why I heard they they recorded it at a, at a, a hall in in uh, California and, and hired like reactions. It was all pre-taped, but I uh, I saw them on Mr. T's Berserk. I I kind of loved that that show went off the rails in that way. I'm just like <laughs> fuck it, we're faking it. <laughs> like, <laughs> My favorite one of those, there was, um, 
it was the roast of Wilt Chamberlain and they just had a jockey roasting Wilt Chamberlain because they thought it would be funny to have a jockey standing next to Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> I love what, what I love what um what what was what was considered like showbiz in like the 80s like back then like I remember like like I loved watching um shit so, solid gold Oh yeah. What, what was the show with the late madam with the guy had that puppet madam? Oh, yeah. Was that solid uh, gold? Yeah, the Wailing Flowers and Madam puppet. Uh I love and- shit like that. Where's Rick Dees? Remember he, Rick Dees? Did he oh my god, look at this. It's my Charles Charles <laughs> we might have to put this up with the video, but I don't know if I want everybody to see. I like this beard though. I like the beard, it looks pretty good. <laughs> we can make we clips. <laughs> yeah, we'll put yeah. Patreon. Patreon members will get uh, clips of my sexy beard. So let's let's get back to is there anything else you guys want to talk about? What was going on in 1984? Do you do you feel do you feel like you were born too late, Dan, Danny Gats? Or, or are you okay with just uh it's kind of it, it's weird because I I did a uh, a hair metal episode of John Cobble's uh Peaks podcast. And it was basically the same thing where like it was him and Chris Dolan talking about like their personal experiences with it. And they were going through it chronologically and remembering the, their lives while it was happening. But for right. me, it's just like one mesh of stuff that is the past. So like, yeah. like I, I've, been, I've been watching a ton of movies this year and like I can watch movies from the 30s movies that came out this year. And they're just movies that happened in the past. Like it, <laughs> and they all just kind of jump together. I don't want to. I don't like to. I don't want to use the the term old soul. I, I just think it's more. You just. You're just a. You're just a, a, like a person who wants to know things. And 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 I knew you'd be great for this show, even though I I knew you, you were younger than than us. You know, I mean, it's just like I was the same way growing up. Like I would watch, like a lot of th- a lot of times when I'm talking about music that I like, like people think I grew up listening to it, but it was it was decades before I was born. It's just like or or like I, I love you know and i love old movies and i love old comedy and stuff like that so it's just funny it's just and and now it's 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 funny we can find all these things so easily and i find myself seeing less and less of it because this movie came out the year i graduated and uh so i'm this is like 84 i was wearing like a pastel ocean pacific shirts with the collar popped up or a polo shirt with the collar popped up and uh <laughs> but but like i discovered like a quirk and it was quirky uh wrestling sctv horror films zombie films uh and uh these charles bronson action films i just love seeing uh, you couldn't get enough of it it's it's weird because like those are the things that seem to hold up better now because the people who make movies now were influenced by them. So they seem more contemporary when you watch them now. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. I, like the, I, know Quentin, I don't know about this movie in, in, in particular, but I know Quentin Tarantino yes. claims to be a big Charles Bronson fan. And I think about like, nobody was inspired by revenge of the nerds to make movies. So like the people <laughs> who were like your age, who are now making movies, saw this as a kid and we're like, I want to make movies like that. Nobody saw Revenge of the Nerds and was like, I want to do that when I'm older. Like, like that's not exciting. Right. You, get, you, you, you got a good point. 
what you're feeling now is your own mortality. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the end of this thing. Oh. Cause, cause I, I, I gotta go to bed. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, well, again, to the end, you know, Charles Bronson and the woman, uh, pay a farmer for his truck to ride right. off in a, to the mines. Well, the bad ambassador and his henchmen <laughs> go to the farmer and they're, and they're interrogating him. Right? <laughs> yeah. He made me laugh because the, uh, one henchman's looking around and the ambassador comes out of a barn and his hands are all bloody. And he goes, are you in there? He goes, no, nothing but pigs. He got all the information he needed. <laughs> and I like that the American ambassador, like he just went and took matters into his own hands. That's weird. Well, he's a couple of well-placed links and he's that. going to Afghanistan. So, you know, he's just taking care of business. I don't know. Is Afghanistan that bad? That's uh <laughs> Afghanistan, Afghanistan in the 80s was thriving. It wasn't until we went over there in the 80s and gave them weapons that all of a yeah. sudden everything went crazy. Like Malala's from there. I read her book. It was sounded bad, though. Her book sound made it sound bad. Yeah, dude, it, I mean, she's from the era after we made it bad. We made it bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, he should have went over there. Maybe he would have, you know, that guy. He's a he wheeler and dealer. He let America down, that guy. Briggs. What was his name? Briggs or Riggs? Yeah, Briggs or something. So they kidnapped the doctor's sister. They throw her in a trunk. But before they throw her in a trunk, he records a phone conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't even know why he's recording it. He's recording yeah. it with his old handheld uh, tape recorder. And so he gets, so, which gets used later on. They go running from, uh, henchman, and she dies in the trunk. But Bronson really needs her as leverage to to lure the doctor somewhere, right? To kill him. They lure the doctor into this cave or cavern or whatever the hell you want to call it. And before Bronson can kill him, all the people working in the uh, cave who are all deformed because <laughs> realize it's the doctor. And you realize, and you realize, oh my God, they're all deformed because they were tortured by the doctor. And then you think, wait a second, why were so many people tortured by the doctor? Yeah. And then they go, they go and attack his car, and he cries in the most. He he just like cries like a like the most effeminate bad guy. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Where are you? Where have they got you? <laughs> when when they reveal all of the people working in the mines were tortured by the doctor, I legitimately said out loud, why am I just hearing about this now? Right. <laughs> right. And, and it wasn't and, Bronson's plan. It wasn't Bronson's plan to lure him there. Right. Yeah, no, no, he was just driving. It was just a coincidence that they drove. In, and what were they mining for? Yeah. Sure. And, and I had to be like a hundred guys, and the the leader of the guy. You see, they see the makeup on his face. He was tortured. Uh, like, why was the doctor torturing poor, poor peasants? Right. Like, was there? Would were some people just practice guinea pig? It was so. It was so many people that you would think that he wouldn't be very popular anywhere. 
<laughs> See, I if if they had made a point of these people earlier in the movie, I think I would understand the means that Charles Bronson is going to, like the levels that he's going to. And I I, I guess in like the, the videotapes, we're supposed to get that like that's the connection that these are the people who are like the survivors of the torture. Right. But you get a small window in <laughs> most Danny, I'm gonna have you on again because I think you're a great a great guest, but you get a small window in a Bronson movie, in almost every Bronson movie, to make up your mind that you hate the bad guys and back in the 80s it was a lot easier to hate bad guys because everything because because films were good guy bad guy there was no anti-hero there's no nuance to the breaking bad you know i mean you weren't you would you would never root for a school teacher that made meth back in the 80s you know what i mean or you know so so there was this small window and there was always like a grotesque I mean, sometimes rape scene or something, something to make you hate the bad guy so much that Charles Bronson could, whatever, throw him out a window with a fire hose wrapped around him or rip his <laughs> cock off, which was yeah. a bit much. With his strong hands. Yeah, a real big, scary guy he was. Remember he says that? I said it earlier, yeah. but I just thought that was strange. So anyway, that's basically how it ends. All these deformed people come out with pickaxes, they were and some of them was it? Did I make this up in my head? Where was one of them dra- like dragging like stumps, like didn't have legs? That did happen. Yep. Yes. And he that was working in a mine. They're they're not treated very well here. <laughs> Who's the real bad guy here? Is it the yeah. doctor, or is it capitalism? <laughs> I mean, and you, I don't know what they're mining for. They're, they're all just sitting around tapping on little tan brown rocks. Maybe yeah. that was a torture that he had them doing. Yeah. Oh, is this like a prison? Are they in a prison? I don't, I don't, I don't is know. Is it just like go beat rocks? Like in, like, <laughs> and then they go, and then you just see Bronson and um, the woman and his the daughter um, at Bronson's Island. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. Do they, you're like, and they, they freeze frame, and he's like, hey, Quasimodo. Yeah, they don't get to see Quasimodo again. Like, I would have liked to have seen the little girl see Quasimodo. <clears throat> I think we're supposed to believe that Bronson and her end up together. There's like a real, like, really like vague, like, kind of like not love scene, but where she like kind of starts to take a liking to him, where she's like, You're talking, you sleep. Remember that? A passive acceptance of him. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. But that's like that's someone falling in love with you know at that age stage of Bronson's career. It's like, all right, we'll go look at his fish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your your husband was recently murdered and your daughter was kidnapped. Uh, you want me by fish? I, I I laughed out loud because the limo driver is holding a little girl with a gun to her head, and one of the miners with a really bent up hand. Bombs, bombs him in the head with a big brick rock. Just, <laughs> yeah. I forgot that they had. I forgot that they had the little girl. That poor little girl that was traumatized forever. Because Teresa yeah. Saldana, who was already stabbed by a stalker, drug her ass to freaking Columbia or wherever. What a, fucking, what a bunch! They're all pieces of shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody in this movie is a piece of shit. <laughs> 
Yeah. The, the most likable guy was Randolph. And he got oh. a knife in his neck. The guy just, that the guy, guy was, was great. He was just the, up for everything. The fact oh. that he was bad at his job made me like him so much more. It was just a job <laughs> to him. <laughs> oh, th- th- there's really, let's take a second. One of the guys who uh, helps Charles Bronson on the island, it's a bald uh, Latino actor with a mustache, Hector Elizondo, or Hector, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on Hill Street Blues, very popular show. And uh, he gets tortured and, and killed. For and, and he's the one who tells them where they're at. Uh, but he's one of the first guys to, uh, stars to die of uh, AIDS. Really? That's why his name's familiar. I wish it wasn't a tragic reason. <laughs> yeah, I thought I knew the name sounded familiar too. Uh, that was another thing, Danny, that you didn't live through. That was weird. That was really, that was, it's not really good for the show, probably, but. <laughs> yeah, like when, when they're kind of demonizing homosexuality in this era, it feels extra bad knowing that that was also happening in real life. People were not. They weren't. They weren't there. You know what I mean? Yeah. They really weren't at the time. I mean, you know, I don't think they. You know, I don't know that the film demonized it, like. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it, it didn't did. specifically it did. like demonize it, but it, it gave them those qualities so that you would like them less. So bad guys in movies back then often had like effeminate or like a. Yo, oh. by, by the way, didn't the doctor? Did the doctor remind anybody else of the my pillow guy? Like a cross between the MyPillow guy and Mr. Belvedere. Yes. So do you think that the doctor was so mad because he was in love with his sister and his sister was gay? That's another point. I don't think so. I think think she went both ways, too. I think she went both ways, uh, women and her brother. (laughs) Yeah. Those are the two ways. He was really a bad guy, of course. He was really screaming for her at the end. Bring her out! Bring her out! Oh, they were great. Let's write. Let's write. Yeah, you know what? I know something. I'm going to reach out to her. We're going to get her on the program. That would be great. She was awesome. He's dead, isn't he? Joseph Mayher. Yes. I did not actually look him up. I was not moved by his performance in any way. (laughs) You were not moved by the doctor's performance? Fools. Yeah, he died in 1998. Oh wow! Like, like the the big guy. I wonder. I wonder if he was a wrestler. He was in the Sister Act. Yeah, I know. I was trying to find the big guy. Um, while I look, while we look for him, um, closing thoughts, <laughs> closing arguments. Yeah, I, I, I think mean, we all generally agree it's it's not a great movie. <laughs> no, but I love it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. And I, Bron- I don't even Bronson, think I would hesitate to tell people to watch it, but it's not great. No, I wouldn't either. Uh, but Bronson being Bronson being um, like my favorite, my favorite actor. And, and he and you will see if you follow this podcast and you, you will see good movies. He was in Once Upon a Time in the West with Henry Fonda. Um, I mean, the, Magnificent the, Seven is incredible. I think The Mechanic is a good movie for what it is. I think Rider on the Rain is a good movie for what it is. Hard times. Um, hard times. The hard greatest times. Game. Oh, my God. Hard times is a great movie. And, 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 called, and, uh, and what's, what's great about this show is we'll get to talk about other great character actors like Rod Steiger, James Cole, oh, yeah. Lee Marvin. Rod Steiger's in Love and Bullets. 
it, like he's still, even as a, a kid, when I now back when I was just all about Bronson, you know, I've talked, told you guys how like now I have this like love for the bad guys. Even back then, I was like, this guy's stealing the movie. Like he just stole the movie. I just read uh, Pictures Out of Revolution and it goes into uh, the five movies that were nominated for the Best Picture Oscar in 68. So like the best movies of 67. Oh, I have the book right next to me. It's so good. The, the, uh, What's it called? The Dr. Doolittle story is worth reading just in itself. But the reason I was bringing it up, because they, they talk a lot about Rod Steiger in, in the heat of the night and just like how much he just embodied that role, but wasn't this crazy oafish racist dude. But like, like him and Sidney Portier just became like the best of friends because Sidney Portier like recognized that he was pushing himself as an actor and like rose to meet him as an actor that, there's like sing it came out singing his praises so much after that movie. He's incredible. And this Love and Bullets movie, it's 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 a really fun 70s. Um it it, it winds up in Switzerland and shit like that. So it's like, you know, action, espionage. Um, but Rod Stein, I mean, it's like it's for all intents and purposes, it's it's a it's um it's a silly movie, but it's a little more, I think it might be have a little higher budget than but long story short, Rod Steiger just steals it. But that's that's for the future. That's for that episode. You know what I mean? And that's what this show's gonna gonna uh, that's what this show's gonna be. It's gonna be a really fun ride to get to talk about what was going on when and and a lot of these movies are gonna be before I was born. You know what I mean? So, but you know, I like old. I mean, I like old music and something. I think you hit on like a, a, a neat topic because like there's there's people like like Charles Bronson's the top guy. But the, when they made the Dirty Dozen, you fell in love with other actors who were sort of like him, like Lee Marvin and Telly Savalas. But just Charles Bronson had a much more better output. But I love all those character tough guys. Right, yeah. right. And you know, I wanted to talk about this earlier, um, and then then we'll go because I can't be up all night. And maybe maybe I'll, maybe we'll cut it out, or maybe we won't, or maybe we'll talk about it on a different episode. But World War Two. I mean, is that why we had so many of these tough guy actors? Like Bronson was was raised in a coal mining town. He 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 wanted to go to New York when he got out of the World World War II, but he only had enough money and made it to Philadelphia, which we forgot to mention. Our our hometown, he lived there for. That's where he became an actor. He um he was roommates with Jack Klugman, but like, huh. but like people's like like. Uh, allegedly people that thought he had an interesting look and were like, Hey, you should be an actor. And he was like, Oh God, you know, <laughs> sure. Yeah. And then he worked for 50 years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, but, but, that, but that's an insane story. Like it's not like a guy who grew up, like he was in the drama club in high school. He, he was 10 years old. He had to drop out of school to work in mines. He's such an yeah. improbable, improbable story. I, I would guess that you're right about that, though, with World War II being a big catalyst for people coming. Like, you, you see absolute horrors that you never imagined in your life you would see. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going back to work in an office. Like, That's right. Yeah. We need another war. World War. World. It's hard to say. We need another world war if we want some good movies. For some, so what, <laughs> how do we do that? What? And on that note, let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> And that is the program. We will have a world. Oh, look at that. There it is. That's wish. Um, so at final thoughts, Danny. 
You know, I'm I'm very excited to be. So I'll be here for most of them, whether on mic or not. So I'm I'm very excited for the uh, journey we're launching into here, and this is a very fun one to start with. I'm excited to have you on board because I was hoping that you would want to be involved, like because I just I I admire you, and um, I just think exactly. I don't. I think my final thoughts were already said. Like it's going to be a neat ride. Like I want I want people and I to understand that like. I love when, like, it's, it's something, Bronson is something I love, but it's like, there's so much more. Cause, cause I mean, he spanned all these decades and all these, it's just, there's just so much that can be talked about. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of like, just celebrating the things that make you happy. And that's what this is. Yeah. And once in a while, these movies will coincide with something uh, topical and you know what I mean like I already know I already in my mind know of a couple that are you know there's some problematic things in them or you know that will be like wow like this is and it'll bring up important topics too it'll be important I mean I don't want I don't want it to be too too much in that I want to I want it to yeah. be funny and entertaining but you know yeah, I think I'm I'm most excited for the Dirty Dozen episode because that is just such a great movie, but it also kind of subverts the war tropes in a very fun and exciting way. Yeah. Danny Getz is on Feel Feelings. John is on the Kensal Culture podcast. And um, this is This Week in Charles Bronson. And I think that's it.